Hi, and welcome to The Terror Test. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And as fans of horror, our goal is to weigh merits of films based on three categories, production, monster quality, and scare factor, to decide whether to admit them into our sacred horror canon. In this podcast, we'll put horror movies to the test to determine what to watch next, what's worth revisiting, and what to recommend to the uninitiated. Number two pencils ready, and begin. Okay, so this time we're going to be talking about The Birds and Birdemic. Yes, um, both the short story and the movie The Birds and the horror classic <laughs> Birdemic. Shock and terror. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, All right. Let's start with the st- short story. So The Birds, uh, this was published in 1952, and it's written by Daphne du Maurier. Yeah. So a little bit of background about her. It, after reading this, because um, I hadn't read anything by her before, um, turns out uh, she comes from a very wealthy, um, hoity-toity background, um, and you know, one that kind of fosters her creativity, and she was able to to write and do that. But that's also why, at least from my understanding, a lot of that sort of class stuff and those ideas come up in her writing because that was just mm-hmm. her world. Yeah, it's something that we'll definitely see whenever we do Rebecca, which I, I'd love to do sometime. Um, yeah, uh, the 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 uh, class system in England is kind of prevalent in both this and and that, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which is the only other thing by her I, I've read. But she is kind of um, you know a, a horror icon in her own right. So. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I'm confident that we will come back to her. Um, so it's cool that we got to read this story. Um, let's begin with production. Yep. So we're looking to make sure that the story is timeless in its power and effectiveness of its writing, um, <clears throat> in its iconography and portrayal of its subject matter. Um, I would say, I mean, even reading this, so what? This was published early 1900s, 20s, 30s? What was the 1952. Year 52, totally way off. Uh, I was not listening to you. Okay. Um, So (laughs) even though it was, you know, taking place in that time, I feel like this is one of those stories you could put it anywhere, anytime. Yeah, it really does feel timeless. dates it really because it's a family living on, what do we want to call it, Uh, just out in the country. Yeah, but isn't it kind of like an estate or something? Yeah. I get the idea. It's not a farm. Yeah, but they kind of... Don't they work for the owners of a huge mansion right. or estate, or at least they're nearby? Mm-hmm. So, but they're definitely removed. Like, there's that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, isolation is a huge topic. Absolutely. In the story. Yeah. Um. So I think, in addition to that, in terms of production, I mean, I think it fits our definition very well. So not only is it timeless, but I feel like her writing is it's great. I mean, the, the dialogue um, feels very natural, very realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she actually uses the line, winter is coming. Yes. Right? Is that where, I mean, is that where it comes from? Oh. Like from Game of Thrones? Do you think they there's that connection? I doubt it. I know it's such a short line. It yeah. It could be anything, but that's all I thought of when I read it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it too. It re- reminded me of, um, like stories about 
the um, the German bombing of London and like the Japanese kamikaze pilots. And because it was written, you know, 10 years after the fact, um, I, I think that it was intentional. Um, and so it seemed like there was, you know, this really uh, you know, well-written story about this family in an isolated setting. It kind of felt like a little apocalyptic, like they have limited resources. They're yeah. trying to keep, um, keep the birds out. Um, and, and yeah, it just, it just, um, made me think of, um, the, the bombing of London. Yeah. The way they're having to like barricade themselves. Um, there's the, where you can, there's also that idea where like you can move about during the day, but you have to be locked down at the Mm -hmm. night. Um, which is, you know, way different from, from the movie. Um, I, the, I feel like. What's interesting about the story, so they t- keep talking about the black frost. Yeah, the in, weather. And the weather of it. I wonder, you know, does it have to be birds in this? Could it could have just been the black frost or some sort of, like, other element that is also, like, I don't know, going against them or, or hitting them? Does it have to be birds? Um, I definitely like how it is birds. Yeah. Um, I, and there's the like, hierarchy. There's the class yes, of the birds they get into. Yes, yeah. There is. There is. Um, yeah, I was. I, yeah, I was really surprised how different it was from the movie because the movie seems to be, um, kind of located in a place that, even though it's not in the city like San Francisco, it's still a very public open place there are just about every where there are a lot of people um but here it's it's very much um the like solitary survival mm-hmm. story yeah i mean in which would go along with uh different themes of war so that idea yeah. that like, you're displaced um and alone amidst all this chaos and mm-hmm. you can't really put your finger on what not only what's going on but why it's happening that's what i read about her too is that a lot of her stories deal with themes of dislocation Mm. um so feeling out of place or um in this case i guess it would say like the birds themselves are dislocated and that is what's causing like the chaos Mm -hmm. um so yeah I, i all parts of that i mean i have to give it a point for production i feel like the characters are well developed it didn't bother me. I could see where it would bother some readers the ending where it's just like leaves it open. It's just, it feels like the story is just it, it's a short story, so it's like a snapshot mm-hmm. of that that group of people's experience with this phenomenon. Like you don't necessarily get a clear answer on what is causing it or when it's going to end. Yeah, there is very much a lack of resolution. Mm-hmm. here and i think it's effective just like i think it's effective in the movie too yes um you know in this you know sort of apocalyptic setting um that there's not really a happily ever after like there's really no coming back from that or at least coming back the same way mm-hmm. i i like well i see where maybe some modern readers might be bothered by that in both the movie and mm-hmm. the story, but it didn't. No, didn't bother. I'm gonna give it a point. <clears throat> it, well, and it made me start thinking too. Um, and maybe this is what Hitchcock did, and we can talk about this 
when we get to him, but like you can take this phenomenon of the birds and create any story in the midst of that. So like, I feel like, like recently uh, started reading the fifth wave. Right. Mm -hmm. So they talk about the birds as being like the first wave where they're like spreading the disease. Yeah. And I was wondering if that was also inspired by the birds, but Mm. you could have a snapshot of anywhere in the world of any house in that location and how they deal with that phenomenon. I thought that would be interesting Mm -hmm. to explore. Yeah. Well, I think it, it just speaks to, uh, De Maurier's uh, just like excellent choice of a monster here as everyday birds. I mean, because they're just, they're such a common sight everywhere. Um, and so that idea of them like turning on you, is I, I just find it very effective. So I guess well, let's, that takes us to monster. Quality. Let's talk. Yeah, talk about monster quality to see that they're frightening and clearly relate to archetypal fears and have depth. And I think what you're saying is, is her choice in the birds as the monster. I, I would say on a symbolic level also is just um, any creature that is out of its element or is going against its nature somehow. Mm-hmm. And just reacts in a like violently. Mm-hmm. So like when you're plopped in, yeah. you know, if you're a soldier in war and you parachute in, like you're gonna start doing some crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I really like that idea of nature turning against us. Um, uh-huh. I, I think it's just a great idea for a horror story because when you start thinking about it, you think about how vulnerable we are to nature. And we talked about this a little bit with Antichrist, um, about the ruthlessness of nature. And so I feel like we get a similar feeling here where nature is unknown, it's unknowable. Um, And so we're surprised when nature organizes and you and unites to destroy humanity. It, it could be maybe seen as like a global warming metaphor, sure. which we'll get into with pandemic. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, and the the way as we're talking about it, that I'm kind of reading it too, is that it's taking those uh, whether we want to call them social norms or the norms in the hierarchy of nature, and just turning it on its head. It's like mm-hmm. where where humans are going to see themselves as superior and birds inferior, whether it's the size of their brain or organization or violent tendencies or whatever, um, it just completely flip-flops it, mm-hmm. um, which is a super interesting choice for a monster. Yeah, yeah. And again, I, I just couldn't help but compare it to kamikaze pilots. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this um, idea of, of an enemy that is just, um, like, they, they can... They're, they're a threat because of their sheer numbers and their willingness to uh, destroy themselves to get to you. Mm-hmm. Um, For think, like the good of the rest of their yeah, flock. Yeah. I think that's just a really yeah. fascinating idea. Um, yeah. yeah and, and aside from this, the fact that, I mean, birds themselves as symbols and archetypes, mm-hmm. um, we could dig into, um, especially like the crows in, in the film and then going through the different types of birds and the way they strategize or like group in here. So I mean, it's worth a point for me. Same here.
All right, so we're looking at scare factor. Clear intent to scare and must be successful in that objective from beginning to end. After reading this, like, and I'll talk more about this, I think, with the with the movie, is that this story made me <laughs> kind of afraid to go outside. Really? <laughs> at least at night where you can't see if the bird is yeah. coming and then dive bomb right at you and birdemic, it slits your throat somehow. But anyway, <laughs> like... Um, I, it was frightening to me, and I think the the intent was there in, in the way that she builds suspense mm-hmm. with the you know um, the, the supernatural features of the weather, the mm-hmm. black frost, the um, the night and day. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's there. I I think it is definitely suspenseful, um, but I don't know if I would consider it scary. Okay. Um, I don't I I never really felt like viscerally afraid. Um man, so like with with that idea of being scared afterwards does does that fit under our umbrella of scare factor? Are well, you scared during like while you read it or are you scared like at the thought afterwards? Does what counts? Definitely uh that's a good point. Can I say, like, from beginning to end, that it was successful in that objective? I'm thinking about the parts where, um, you know, they're in the house, huddled down with the fire going in the fireplace. And mm-hmm. even in the story, and Hitchcock does this very well, like, with the sound, I think yeah. that's what bothers me, too. Like, it des- she it, describes the sounds very mm-hmm. well. Um, it, it's unnerving. Yeah, it's it's sort of a classic horror scene, yes. right? Yep. People, the outsider. Kind of, yeah, yeah, people like kind of huddled together inside some form of shelter, um, you know, boarded up windows. Like Krampus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, every zombie movie, yeah. you know. Um, it, it also reminded me of uh, what's Signs. Yes. Um, you know, and so like it it makes for like a very like a, a well-made suspenseful scene um but I, I don't know if i was scared yeah i think and i'm not somebody who's like scared of birds like um no but like last but you time know, like have you ever met anyone who's like just like shocking they're just terrified of birds like they will not go around birds they're just creeped out almost the same way someone is like scared of clowns i don't think so i mean i think if like you know there have been times when you know a bird gets inside and yeah it just, it's there's a little it is chaotic, it is chaotic. <laughs> imagine yeah. if there's like that's true that's true 200 <laughs> yeah uh I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to give it a point. Um, like I said, there there's really nothing in there that like really made me afraid or didn't, yeah, it just didn't do anything for me emotionally. Mm. Um, but I was absolutely able to appreciate the writing and appreciate um, the ideas and the suspense of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does a great job of building suspense. I think, in you know, and we could say this about modern viewers of Hitchcock too, is that she definitely has that slow build. Mm-hmm. But I've, I don't know through through us doing this, I'm growing to 
appreciate that much more. Like mm. you don't have to jump into the zombie apocalypse, like zombies in your face from the very beginning. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm cool. I mean, I, I don't have to press any further. Like we can go to honorable mention. I'm good with that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, I'm not going to give it a point. You are. Yeah. Okay. I, it, and it's, it's just, I guess it's that scene and, and not knowing the, why the things are happening and this like phenomenon's happening that just, that unnerves me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, I, I love that it's not explained Yeah, like that, that makes it for me. Um, that cool. makes the story work. All right, so then let's move on to the movie adaptation, The Birds, um, released in 1963, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by Evan Hunter, starring Tippi Hedren as Melanie, Rod Taylor as Mitch. Yeah, so let's look at production. Again, I mean, but the thing here that's different from the other Hitchcock that we watch is the special effects. Um. Let's just start there. Do they hold up with the, with the birds? Sort of. Sometimes I think they look beautiful. Like mm-hmm. when you get those, like, especially here on the Blu-ray, yeah. like you get the clear picture of them. But there are parts of this movie where it's just unbelievable. Like when they climb, there's like the birthday party and they climb to the top of the hill and it's clearly a backdrop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just throws me it, out of it. Yeah, it, it took me out too and i remember she's driving yeah i I remember watching this when i was pretty young and feeling the same way like even when i was little i could tell that it just didn't hold up Mm -hmm. it was almost goofy Mm -hmm. in some places um but in other places like it's done really well a lot of times when it's the practical effects, like yeah. it looks pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's coming through the window and mm-hmm. nipping yeah. at the kids' <laughs> hair and stuff, like chasing the children. Yeah. It's great. Um, there are a lot of just really great scenes and shots in this. Um, I think my, my favorite probably has to be when she's outside the school. It, the way that scene is it's my favorite the way that it develops is just it is just so suspenseful and just mm-hmm. so brilliant he's a master i mean that that build up and the scene we're talking about is where the the birds accumulate behind her on the uh, the jungle gym or mm-hmm. whatever that is at the school uh, i don't it's it's perfect like the way that it builds suspense it is it's a perfect scene um, and I, I don't know. I think what I've kind of come to, at least kind of thinking about this before we talked about it, is that the parts that don't hold up, so mostly in the chase scene or when um, they're sort of superimposed on there, the big flocks of birds, mm-hmm. I, it doesn't bother me that much. I mean, is it? we can talk about the scare factor too because like, I let Sadie watch some of this with me. Oh, yeah. She was just laughing. <laughs> like, <laughs> Even her, she, Okay. Yeah, so so I agree. But, okay, so outside of the special effects, though, Mm -hmm. um, I think there's some really interesting things going on. Acting's wonderful. Yeah. I I really liked the the characters. Um, Tippi Hedren's um, Melanie is, like, a really interesting female lead. Um, And her 
chemistry with Rod Taylor, I think is, is charming. Um, so I didn't mind the pacing, like how it was slow. Um, there, there were just like, there's just enough, um, to kind of like keep me interested, you know, like when the bird like comes at her in the boat, mm-hmm. you like, you know, things are going to happen, but Hitchcock's taking his time to get you to like really care about these people. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, um, in the, in preparation for this, you and I both read, um, the portion of the, uh, Hitchcock Truffaut interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and kind of talking about, that buildup of suspense, what I got from that interview is that Hitchcock, and I think I knew this already, I mean, but he is so meticulous. Every decision, every shot, every word Mm -hmm. is intentional in his eyes to build that suspense. Right. And it was this movie that it took me to really see that, that even the lines that are being delivered Mm -hmm. in the direction that they're being delivered is part of that staircase. Yes, yes. Like there was a brilliant part in the book that I didn't realize when I watched the movie when um, Mitch tells Melanie, like, go back to your gilded cage. And mm-hmm. then later, Melanie is in the, the phone, phone booth, booth in that iconic scene and she's in a cage and the birds are free. And it's just like, mm-hmm. it's such an amazing reversal. And that dialogue, uh, whenever, uh, let's see. Is that is that Mitch? Yeah, the main guy. Um, whenever he's first talking to her, whenever they first meet, it's like it's like an interrogation. Like he's really going after her to like. I felt I felt like he should have had like a bright light in her eyes. Um, I, I, oh, I liked it though. I, I liked no, how adds. she pers- like pretended to be an employee, mm-hmm. and then she proceeded to like track him down and find him at his weekend home. It, it was just you know. It was really different. Like there's a spontaneity and like impulsiveness in that character that I don't know. It just stood out among you know other um, even other other Hitchcock female mm. characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can we speaking of characters? Can we talk about the the mom for a second? Yeah, because I just kept writing down like mommy issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Showing up again, but she yeah. was she was wonderful as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jessica Tandy, I mm-hmm. think that was. I think for me, like it's the best, and and Hitchcock talks about that in the interview with Truffaut is that when she's picking up the broken dishes, and then she finds the broken dishes at the neighboring mm-hmm. house, and then they're sitting there having tea with, with her in bed, so the dishes show up again. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole moment where she sort of like lets down her guard and you know, says why she's being so, and I think she apologizes for why Mm -hmm. she's so mean to these other women that he brings home. Yeah. Um, I just think is a, I mean, a great example of the the power of the acting and then Mm -hmm. also like getting us to care about the characters. Yeah. Um, I, I also really liked, um, the, the quiet scenes, uh, like the way that the, the neighbor or the farmer, who had his eyes plucked out, like the way he was revealed, it, it was just total silence. So it's like in the aftermath mm-hmm. um, and she looks and it's, it's just great. Or um, when they're walking among the birds in the silence there, you know, like any second they can just start mm-hmm. squawking. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, I think the way that he uses sound in this is, is really mm. effective. And he says that specifically in that interview is that he was all about, he wasn't going to put music in this. Mm. He wanted all yeah. these sounds. Yeah. Um, and apparently speaking of sounds, I didn't know this, um, but my wife, Kristen said she looked this up. So the sound of the birds, it's a mix of real bird sounds. And it said, and she said she found two like stretching or scratching like tape huh. to make that sound. Like the one that's like really echoey. Okay. You know, apparently it's taking like recorded tape and hmm. kind of stretching and scratching it. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I feel like despite the special effects, I still want to give it a point. Oh. Because it's, it's I mean, <laughs> yeah. So it's dated, but I mean, yeah, everything is there. There's I mean, still, this is a great yeah, movie. There's still those practical effects that make up for it. So. Yeah. Okay. Monster quality, um, looking to see that they're frightening, relate to archetypal fears and have depth. I think the same can be said about the birds. I think something that the movie does um, that adds to that is those shots that we get are that are the bird's eye view. So like when yeah. the gas station explodes mm-hmm. um, or when it follows the bird kind of zooming in. What is it? I think that's at the party maybe can't remember but there are yeah. several times where mm-hmm. we get that bird's eye point of view um and going along with that um and hitchcock mentions this is that um he was really um really careful about whose perspective he was following with the yeah. gaze so he, just because they're deli- they were delivering lines they're not necessarily the focus of the picture mm-hmm. which i think that play with perspective and point of view all around is really effective in terms of monster quality. Yeah. It makes them more frightening to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I also think that it, it may be more effective in the movie. Um, the way that our relationship with birds is explored earlier on the way that like they're used as symbols with the love with birds. the love birds yeah they're they're all she caged. brings the love yes. and they're cage yeah yeah um they take so- the love with them <laughs> yeah and so um I, I i like how we get that in the beginning and and then he flips it on its head mm-hmm. you know uh, throughout the film um and i you know just like with the story i love how it's never really explained i would say you know, it's even less explained in the movie because there's really no indication of like weird weather patterns. Right. And there, there's that whole, and I, I love the scene where it's in, they're in the restaurant bar and yeah. it's like this interrogation and like everybody has their opinion. I feel yeah. like that's such, such real life, especially mm-hmm. in a small town. You've got everybody who's got their, again, different point of view mm-hmm. that's represented there with the ornithologist and what the sailor, the drunk, mm-hmm. um, the mother, her, the mother, um, all of those get sort of expressed in this round mm-hmm. table there. Yeah. And it's, it's really great. Cool. And, and it's kind of like, um, a microcosm in how panic builds. Yes. Um, it's really great. And so then when she goes back in and they they're hiding her. and mm-hmm. like, yeah, the mother, and this may be like my favorite shot in the whole movie when she's like, approaching the camera with her like big eyes and is just like screaming at her it's like it's your fault Mm -hmm. um that you brought that yes that was that was just so effective i love that yep and 
unfortunately, I guess when somebody's overreacting that way, you're not supposed to slap them anymore. But it worked. It was justified. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I have to give it a point because yeah. we have you know similar monsters. I think, like you said, I feel like the film even takes it one step further to introduce mm-hmm. um new new monsters in terms of like how we deal with panic and chaos that maybe don't show up or not as clear in the short story. Mm -hmm. So scare factor needs clear intent and successful from beginning to end. We definitely suspenseful definitely has that build towards Mm -hmm. the end where they're driving off. I had a more difficult time with this and maybe it's, and it's different. And this is something that um, I mentioned with the short story that Kristen and I actually discussed is that, when I feel like this is a movie you need to watch in a theater with people and then have to go outside afterwards. Uh, yeah. Like we, when I watched this, it was just at night we watched it. And then I was still in my house, went to bed, mm-hmm. like not worried about it. But when I was in the, we watched it in a theater in Birmingham um, that was showing it like they do at the art craft here. Yeah. Um, and it was much more unnerving because we left and it was dark outside and you know, mm. those sounds still stayed with you. Um, yeah. and the reaction of the crowd kind of lingered. Um, so it was much scarier experience. So I don't know. Um, I, I could definitely see that. Um, also because in a, in a theater, a movie is much more able to like hold your attention because as much as I love this movie, I, my attention started to wander. Um, I was, I found myself sort of bored at places where I feel like there are too many attack scenes. Yeah. Like by, by the end, I felt like, okay, I've, I've seen this, like I'm ready. I mean, it's the movie itself is like almost exactly two hours. I feel like they could have shaved at least 15 minutes out. Like if they just cut like two, Mm-hmm. two bird attack scenes like <laughs> yeah. do we really need it at the birthday party if we're going to get it at the school you know right right and and the one that's that's up there too so i like that build at the school but my favorite scene is um the one that's at the end in the house because yeah. that reminded me of the short story and i like how it's localized like yeah but then we also get it earlier in the house when like all the sparrows are coming through oh like do we need that yeah do we need them to be separate yeah um so hitchcock would say yes because everything was on purpose and everything had to be there yeah but it it really i guess desensitized to me desensitized me to the bird attacks they weren't gonna do anything many times yeah they weren't gonna pretty much the same thing (laughs) Well, no, which is why, like, when it's in the town, the attack is in the town. Like, that's a brilliant scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that has to stay. Those, yeah. The scene at the school has to stay. The one at the home has to stay, like, at the end. But the others, I could take or leave. And if, if they were cut out, then I think the 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 attacks that would stay would would be more, would have more of an impact. I agree. Um, and, yeah, because at, at that point, I was just... I was just ready to get mm-hmm. through it, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's something I was thinking about re- related to the scare factor and after reading the interview is that Hitchcock was so obsessed 
with being able to control every part of the experience, mm-hmm. I wonder what he would think now. You know, in order to have a shock value for it to be scary, it always had to have um, a twist or some surprise along the way that the audience wasn't aware of. But now it's kind of mainstream. Uh, I wonder what he would think of his movies. I don't know. I think he would be really ticked off <laughs> based on that interview. Yeah. Because even when, um, so in that interview, when he's talking about um, how much he loves to play practical jokes, and I was thinking, oh, he's going to talk about like slipping on a banana peel mm-hmm. or a bucket of water on the door frame or whatever. Um, but no, he's talking with just like messing with people's heads <laughs> at the yeah. very end. Yeah. Where he's talking about, so in a nutshell, he's saying that hit the, the practical joke he always wants to play is that he invites um, an older woman along with him and says it's her aunt, or says it's his aunt. Um, and during the course of, and it's like at a dinner or a party mm-hmm. or something. And during the course of the dinner, he constantly like reprimands the aunt and doesn't yes. let her order drinks and tells her to go into like another side of the room. And she just has to look as sad as possible. Yeah. <laughs> it's it like, looks like he's berating his beloved yeah. aunt. <laughs> and then he wants to reveal at the end, oh, she's just an actress. Yeah, I think, I think he would love... <laughs> That's his ideal practical joke. No, I, I think he would love The Office and just any kind of cringe comedy yeah. like that where people are just or in awkward Or Nathan For You yeah. would be yeah. his favorite. But that just, like, to me, that was just so Hitchcock. He was like, I want to control everybody's experience on what they think is happening yeah. and turn it on its head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think with that in mind, I think he would be really ticked off. But I can't give it a, a point for Scare Factor. No. Um, after watching it again, it does feel long and, and, and knowing all of the parts that happen mm-hmm. without that surprise. As a first-time viewer, if, like, if you're going to go see this for the first time, find a local theater that's reshowing old movies and do it that way. That would be the way and, to do and it. And then watch it on the Blu-ray so it looks beautiful. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, does that put it in honorable mention? I think it so. does. That's and uh, while we're on the topic of Hitchcock, um, I mean, I would highly recommend that Truffaut book, not only for fans of horror, but for fans of film. Um, oh, man. Yeah. It, I mean, it has so many, uh, like, classic um, terms and descriptions um, that are just commonplace now, like the idea of the MacGuffin. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mentioned it on the podcast before, that idea of, uh, of surprise versus suspense, um, you know, and just so many fun anecdotes. So I, I would recommend that we put that in the bibliodrome. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, you know, the bibliodrome is, is where we put uh, texts about horror um, right. that would, like, help appreciate, help you, like, appreciate uh the genre even more and i would say definitely check out uh the Truffaut book about hitchcock all right and now the movie you've all been waiting for (sighs) birdemic shock and terror and uh i'm sorry john uh i'm gonna blame you for not bringing this into my (laughs) life sooner i know you've talked about it but dear god it's one of my favorite movies of all time i am so happy you are among the initiated Cause like, cause you brought me, you brought me into the fold. Showed showed me the room. Yes. Um, Tommy Wiseau. But this, I think, may be more entertaining than the room. On another level. Um, I though, uh, I think we should talk about it. 
I, I let's not run it through the rubric. I mean, it's pointless because it is totally it's pointless. a terrible movie. But I would watch this oh, over the birds any day. Like it's more, it's more entertaining. It is. It's entertaining. It's not scary. Maybe it's scary <laughs> that this exists. I'm glad it does, but oh. like, how does it come into being? I don't know how this happens. I mean, I know <laughs> that's what the the podcast, you know, how did this get made, is about. But like, I, I, I don't know. Like, how, why does this exist as like a printed DVD? It's distributed. Be because of its cult status. So I, I have learned. A Where did it show up bit. first? Where did it? Is it was it on Sci-Fi or something, or was it just released in theaters? Um. I I am not sure about that, but I I know that James Nguyen, the director, he's a huge Hitchcock fan. Apparently, one of his other movies is like a Vertigo ripoff. And so he has this love of Hitchcock, and a lot of his stuff is self-financed. Um, there you go. Like uh, the guy who plays Rod, Alan Ball, um, he had to put his Corvette, the Corvette in the movie, like on his credit card. Um, they didn't get film permits for a lot Wait, of the, places. No, the Mustang? Oh, the Mustang. The yeah, hybrid whatever. Mustang? Uh, yeah, whatever, whatever his car was. He, they had it for like two days because he, you know, the actor rented it um, with his own credit card. Um, the Yeah, they, they went around on location and filmed without permits. Um, oh, like what, in all the hotel <laughs> scenes probably. Yeah. yeah well and even just like on the side of the road oh my gosh yeah pointing uh automatic weapons outside yeah the there's a scene in this apocalypse where they're being attacked by birds and then there are just cars just driving by <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't you have loved to be in that line of cars you're like what are they doing uh, it's yeah it's so Swinging absurd guns in the air. but like what makes this great is that there's an earnestness to it. Same, the same as in the room. Like Tommy Wiseau wanted to make a good film, and James Dwyane wanted to make a good film. And so this is a ripoff of the birds. The first half of the movie has no birds in it. It's all uh, about the relationship. I think it's a little more than the first half. According to like how this get made, it was like forty-seven minutes. And yeah. There are no birds. Yeah. Well, and so this is like. <laughs> 90 minutes. Oh, so, it is? Oh, okay. yeah. It felt longer because <laughs> oh. <laughs> of the yeah. extended cuts with the audio. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, um, and so, I mean, I think the first, the, the first half without the birds, it, it might even be my favorite. Um, yes. Because it's you don't just. Need the birds in this movie. Oh, man. Just the building of this relationship between two people who have <laughs> zero chemistry and <laughs> their lines don't makes sense well okay so i was thinking about this and i i don't know if it was just me and so i was asking Kristen this like is it that they don't make sense and seem fake or is this really how two people like that would talk to each other like a software so guy stilted so stilted just like and he's somehow full of himself first of all his name is rod and he is a walking penis like <laughs> yeah. he really is he's got the macho car he's the the software salesman that's uh -huh. like yeah i made the big deal one million dollars <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man oh man um 
Yeah. So so maybe I mean if if you know they had you know I don't know if maybe he was on the spectrum or like <laughs> you know just he he is very very socially uncomfortable. Yes. Around people. Uh, and I mean maybe we should just run through some of the highlights uh too that I want I want everybody to watch this movie. I want everybody to see this yeah, movie. It should be mandatory. <laughs> it's just it's like a life thing. Yeah. Um first of all, and we talked about <clears throat> this before we recorded, is that James uh Wynn really, really wants you to know that he um is a part of this movie because his name shows up at least four times in the opening mm-hmm. credits. The opening credits is about seven minutes long and it's just driving yeah with with like a slanted camera angle yes <laughs> and um, I, I at first I, I didn't know that the movie was going to be like this so i was thinking i was like oh what wouldn't this be more effective is maybe it was flying like bird's eye view of the car so he works, but did it's not, not the budget nope. for that then, then when <laughs> the first person that opened their mouth and first part of dialogue i was like oh i'm in yeah put me on this roller coaster please never let it stop yeah, I was telling you earlier, I started watching this movie on my own. It's just one of those that I had always heard about. And so I, when I finally sat down to watch it, as soon as um, Natalie went to her modeling job at a one-hour photo, I stopped the movie and was like, okay, Sarah Beth has to see this. And so we just watched it together. And we still quote it all the time. Uh, whenever we talk about like, when, when, when I have to like give a lesson or like when Sarah Beth has to give some kind of presentation, <laughs> we're always like solo panels. <laughs> um, <and laughs> just the scene where they just clap for like five That's what, minutes. that was one of my things. So and the clapping counted, dies you know how many, and then it picks up again. <laughs> you know how many cuts to clapping there are in that scene? How many? 12. So they start applauding oh, in this business meeting, yeah. and there are twelve. The applause just continue, and it feels like a Tim and Eric episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it cuts, and there are twelve different cuts to twelve different like groups of people still clapping. Yeah. But that guy who's delivering that business presentation is the best actor in the entire movie. <laughs> the guy with the mustache, yeah. he has the best delivery. No, I would say Tippy Hedren is the best actor oh, okay. in the movie. Yeah, but it's a blanket. It's like blink and you miss her because she's third build in the cast, but she appears on a television screen for two shots. So she's not even a character in the movie. She's just <laughs> on a TV. It's her cameo. Yeah. And oh, man, it is. And on that part in the hotel. So when we get so there's the couple, the awkward couple that just meet and somehow have chemistry. Mm hmm. Um, well, no, according to them, well, they had like English he together. stalks her and then <laughs> yeah. like a major creep. And that's what Kristen kept saying is like, this guy who made this movie wishes he was Rod oh, and wishes yeah. that this was his life and happened to him. And apparently Weird Al in the um, How Did This Get Made episode somehow points out and knows that apparently James Wynn got his money from being a software salesman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in the special So he, special he wrote himself into this movie yeah. and dating a Victoria's Secret model. Yeah, and, and it's just fascinating that, like, so he he knows the world of software, but, like, the dialogue he comes up I with. I hope that's what those conversations <laughs> sounded like. 
Man, you know, <laughs> it, it's just like an infomercial for like generic business, you know. <laughs> Man. Yeah, it's like if you could take any of those uh, stock photo shots of like business meetings yeah. and make dialogue. <laughs> That's, That's what exactly it what it is. Stock dialogue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like a billion dollar company is making like this crappy little PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, oh, oh man. The, There's so much to talk about. And we haven't even gotten to the birds yet. I know. And uh, just one more line. Like when uh, it introduces the other couple. Yeah. Um, and first of all, they're introduced by their like getting it on man, super Harry, Harry mm-hmm. and his girlfriend. And rather than in being in lingerie, she's in an orange swimsuit bikini. Yes. Um, and like to get off the phone, they say, you know, got to get back to work, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, you know, the sensual kind of work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, Let's get. The, so the birds explode. They uh-huh. shoot at him with um, automatic weapons. Um, the birds do drop like they're, they're they, they have like acid for blood droppings. Or is it poop? Oh, okay. Yeah. Isn't it when like they tell. come out of the bus uh-huh. and then they all die because there's like acid? It it seems like it's like bird poop that's like acidic, <laughs> uh, just like in um, in um, the birds. the The explanation isn't entirely clear, but there is like um, some very unsubtle um, messaging about global warming. And that's oh, part of like, subtle. yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> uh, there, there's like, um, that, that's what I love about how like earnest this movie is. And like this director, he has a message. He's like really <laughs> trying to say something. And like, the thing is like, I agree with them. Like global warming is a problem. We need to do something about it. We don't want to like uh, lay waste to the earth, but like, man, I want to distance myself from that message as much as I can after watching this because it's just presented in such a ridiculous way. Mm-hmm. And, and that is totally, when the ornithologist shows up to deliver that yeah. message, I mean, bravo. I mean, you got an ornithologist in there just like <laughs> Hitchcock did, but whew, yeah, good lord. Um, and, and like you have the, the hippie at the end who lives in a treehouse. Um, <laughs> who is that a wig or is that his real hair? <laughs> There's no way that's real. <laughs> but then uh, their their conversation is interrupted because they hear a bear, right? <laughs> it's just like a, a, the roar of a bear, and they're like, "Oh, a bear! We gotta go." Um, and <laughs> I, I mean. The, the part that Sarah Beth and I left at the hardest, um, there's going to be some, some language. So, you know, earmuffs, ahead, earmuffs um, is when um, they're in the van <laughs> and um, the guy asks Rod or, he, or Rod asks the guy, like, you know, where's your girlfriend? <laughs> he says, taking a shit. <laughs> <laughs> and she's out there and she dies. Yeah, but just like the way that that line is delivered, <laughs> it's just so crass. <laughs> oh, and I mean, I mean, of all things, the question in that she had toilet paper out there. Like, yeah, <laughs> they just had yeah. it. In the oh, and they had like infinite fuel. 
even though <laughs> he leaves the gas kid behind. When they try to, they almost get robbed. Yeah. And held at gunpoint by this cowboy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he leaves the gas can and the gun behind. You would think yeah. in the, the bird apocalypse, in a mm-hmm. bird demic, that you would get that to gas can. Um, I'm just going to throw in a couple of uh, Kristen quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, out there. So during that part, I think it's before the hippie or after, I can't remember, but she goes, uh, am I on glue? The birds are attacking and it's time for an effing picnic? Like they <laughs> yeah. start, the, they're just yeah. going to eat and they, uh-huh. they choose to go to all the places they're out in the open. Exactly. In, in nature. Yeah. To get away from the birds. And then when the birds show up, I think it's with the part with the van or the bus, I can't remember. She's like, they look like spiders. They just, cause they look so ridiculous mm-hmm. every time. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, this obviously is not going to go into the canon. Nope. But... It's not going into the diaper either. No. I mean, this deserves a category all of its own. Um, I mean, I I think this, you know, if nothing else, um, I hope this discussion has has just encouraged you to go see this movie. Um, It's it's so entertaining. Yeah, sorry. How are you fine? We're going to end with hanging out with the family. Oh, my favorite song. (laughs) So, sorry to interrupt. Okay. Um, Yeah, and so so this is kind of its own special, you know, niche. Um, I don't don't know if we even need a name for it, but... um, I I can't even think of one right now, but um, we'll tell you what we're doing uh, next week, or in the next show mm-hmm. and then leave you with hanging out with the family. Okay. So, so on that's plate. been, yeah, that's been our episode on birds. Um, and so we are moving um, on and our next episode is going to be fire and brimstone. We are going to discuss Joe Hill's book, the fireman, and we're going to watch Baskin the Turkish film, as well as the anthology film Southbound. Yep. Looking forward to it. I think we did good work this week. So we're going to leave you with hanging out with the family. Bring capital. You said that might happen. Congratulations. Thanks. Don't you owe me some money?